Welcome to Champion Church of the Nazarene's weekly sermon podcast. Comparison can often lead us to living life in ways we might not be proud of. As we start a new series, The Battle Belongs, we found out that God's people struggled with this same issue. We will discover the value of trusting Him in everything. Have you ever heard of the, the slang FOMO? I'm having serious FOMO right now. Now, some of you are like, what is he talking about? Let me use it in a sentence. I am having serious FOMO right now seeing my friend at the Super Bowl. I have serious FOMO right now seeing my friend at this concert or this event. Or I have serious FOMO regarding that they got to go and do that. FOMO means fear of missing out. Fear of missing out. And it's this idea where... It's the equivalent of back in the day, you hearing about your family member or your friend or your neighbor going and doing something, you know, you, you hear in the gossip, you're like, they got to do that, you know, right? And what is, what is of course, the, the feeling whenever you have this fear of missing out or this, what do you mean they got to do that? I would have I wanted to do that, you know, that kind of a thing. It's envy, yes. It's, it's the core of it is envy. It is this idea that you begin to compare your life to somebody else and you wish you could do it. Especially if it's somebody who is similar to you in life circumstances or whatever it might be. I mean, honestly, I I can't lie. Having a kid over the past year and the amount of things that you cannot do anymore once you have an infant daughter is amazing. So FOMO is something that I'm personally dealing with all the time. Like, there was, the other day, Brooke and I were just sitting there and like, I miss the movie theater, <laughs> you know? And it's just, it's these small things. We all deal with it. Comparison and envy, though, can be a bigger problem than we often think, right? In fact, if we begin to compare ourselves and we begin to have envy of somebody else, we can begin to shift our attitudes We can shift our worldviews, we can shift our actions into places that aren't always the best for us. In fact, so much that we can actually compromise our values ourselves. Sometimes FOMO or keeping up with the Joneses or, or just saying, oh, you got to do that, can cause us to forget who we are. We're not the we're not the first people to deal with this. There's nothing new under the sun, friends. And today, as we begin this new series, The Battle Belongs, this series starts with a case of FOMO, a case of envy, a a case of comparison. And actually, we won't get to the tagline of The Battle Belongs for another few weeks. We're not going to hear that in Scripture for a few weeks. But today sort of sets up where this goes, that Quite frankly, oftentimes, we go to battle for the things that we want the most. And the question is, are the things that we want good? Or are they coming from envy? Are they coming from comparison? Are they coming from FOMO? So we're going to be journeying with ancient Israel and their relationship with God and the rest of the world over the next few weeks. If you are new to the Old Testament, the Old Testament is filled with some history but it's also filled with poetry, and it's also filled with all of these different kinds of, there's, there's worship songs, there's, there's wisdom. 
the Old Testament is not just one particular thing, except that it begins to show the relationship between ancient Israel and their God. The history serves that purpose. The wisdom serves that purpose. All of these things serve that purpose of showing us the kind of relationship that Israel had with their God. So to bring you up to speed, here is who Israel is. Israel was enslaved. They were enslaved by Egypt. They were enslaved in the book of Exodus, if you ever travel that way. And as they were in slavery, God liberated them with some amazing miracles, some amazing things. He brought them out, and he moved them out of Egypt into a new land that he promised them. And as he got them to that land, he said, hey, I'm your God. Be my people. I'm your God. Be my people. And he shares with them, this is how you be my people. Rely on me. I'm, I'm your only God. May your allegiance be only with me. But also, he also gave them every, almost line by line by line, how you, how they would live their lives. And it was different than anything that they experienced in Egypt because God wasn't this God that enslaved them and asked from them these, like, work continuously. Rather, he gave to them. He would give to them these patterns that would give them rest, that would not that would cause people to not end up on the margins. He, would, he gave them all of these ways to live. He even gave them leaders called judges. He gave them everything that they needed. He provided. But the Old Testament is this continuous cycle of God providing then saying, oh yeah, great, hey, look over here. It's this continuous moment where they would live outside of what God gave them. And as they would go after something else, oftentimes God would frustrate those plans because they were living outside of what he called them to be. That is really what the Old Testament is. It's back, forth, back, forth, back, forth, back, forth. And in this particular moment, we are going to be finding ourselves at a transition point, at a transition point where Israel moves from the age of judges to the age of kings. And the person that is smack dab in the middle of it is the very last judge of Israel and the first prophet of Israel. His name is Samuel. So if you have your Bibles with you, we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 8. It will also be on the screens for you as we read it today. But in particular, this interaction is this, is this defining moment for the nation of Israel. Because you see, again, God had given them leaders, had given them judges. But they were looking elsewhere. They had FOMO. And what would happen is it would change the course of history forever. So 1 Samuel chapter 8 we're going to begin from verse 4. So all the Israelite elders got together and went to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, listen, you are old now and your sons don't follow in your footsteps. So appoint us a king to judge us like all the other nations have. It seemed very bad to Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. 
So he prayed to the Lord. The Lord answered Samuel, comply with the people's request. Everything they ask of you, because they haven't rejected you. No, they've rejected me as king over them. They are doing to you only what they've been doing to me from the day I brought them out of Egypt to this very minute, abandoning me and worshiping other gods. So comply with their request. But give them a clear warning, telling them how the king will rule over them and operate. Then Samuel explained everything the Lord had said to the people who were asking for a king. This is how the king will rule over you and operate. Samuel said, he will take your sons and will use them for his chariots and his cavalry and as runners for his chariot. He will use them as his commanders of troops of 1,000 and troops of 50 or to do his plowing and his harvesting, or to make his weapons or parts for his chariots. He will make your daughters to be perfumers, cooks, or bakers. He will take your best fields, vineyards, and olive groves and give them to his servants. He will give one-tenth of your grain and your vineyards to his officials and servants. He will take your male and female servants along with the best of your cattle and donkeys and make them do his work. He will take one-tenth of your flocks And then you yourselves will become his slaves. When that day comes, you will cry out because of the king you chose for yourselves. But on that day, the Lord won't answer you. But the people refused to listen to Samuel and said, No! There must be a king over us. So we can be like all the other nations. Our king will judge us and lead us and fight our battles. These group of elders were looking at the rest of the world and saying, are we safe? Will we have what it takes whenever threats come our way? These elders also looked around and they said, look how nice and nice of what these nations are doing. Maybe we should be like that. See, essentially they began to compare themselves to everyone else around them. And they began to think that maybe that way is better than what the God who brought us out of slavery, the God who has provided for us every step of the way, the God who has asked us to be his people, Maybe that way's better. The bug of comparison hit them, and they wanted a king. By the way, if you read the chapter before this, there was a conflict between them and another nation, the Philistines. And God provided. <laughs> like, it, there's some type of miraculous thing that happens. It, it's, it's really sort of hard to understand exactly what happened. But something miraculous happened where they were fine. <laughs> You're fine, Israel. You're fine. But no. The comparison bug was too strong. Now, there are multiple ways that you can learn from this this passage. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of things that you can go in directions. Like you, can, you can concentrate on Samuel's interaction with them, and you can find a bunch of, of, of things that, uh, that there are plenty of flaws there. 
You can also even see some lessons about the, the tension between living a Christian life and the political life, but that's not where we're going here today. We are here to see this relationship between God and Israel be changed forever. This is about that relationship, this faith relationship that they have with him. And essentially, in this moment, they are saying, hey God, it's great that you're God, but there's something to say to other nations that you're our king and we don't have like a dude to point to, maybe we need the king. Casimiria Fraley says this, they still want God to be God, but God and king should be separate. God can be God, but they do not want God to rule anymore. They want to rule themselves. Because they are, they, they want to elevate a king. Don't ever believe the, the, the idea that kings can't be, quote-unquote, elevated <laughs> by the people. They wanted it. But as they say this, they are forgetting that God as king has made them a holy nation, a different kind of nation, a nation that was based not on work, not based on Uh, doing everything that you can to get what you need at the cost of other people, but rather it it was settled in relying on God providing. We want to make the decisions. We want to rule. We believe that our justice is better than yours, God. Their allegiance has shifted. Bruce Birch says this, to become like other nations represented a significant shift for Israel, a shift away from distinctive community to conformity with the patterns of other peoples. And what was at stake was Israel's identity and particularity. Think about that for a second. God basically said, hey, I'm going to bless you to be a blessing to others. You're going to be special. And imagine saying to that God, eh, nah. That's exactly what's happening here. So God makes sure that they know what they're getting themselves into. Hey, Samuel, make sure you tell them. (laughs) Make sure you tell them what they're getting themselves into. And as you start reading, you're like, oh, they're going to take sons and take daughters and oh, that's like 10%, 20%. I'm not sure about this, but yet still after all of that, after hearing that, after hearing that Samuel says, you'll call out to God if you go through this, and he'll say, you chose this, y'all. They still say yes. And the surprising part for, I think, some of us is this, is that God allows it. That might surprise us, but that's on par for God. God gives freely. God is always loving and and offering. But at the end of the day, he still leaves it to his people, to you and I, to receive. And I think that's something that we have to learn a little bit about. Just because 
God allows something doesn't mean that God has blessed something. Do you hear that? Just because God has allowed something to happen doesn't mean that, oh, yeah, that, this was definitely a work of God. Hold the phone. You might be putting some of your desires and your wants and your thought of how the world should be into what God is saying. It's amazing how self-interest and status can occupy Israel and occupy us and makes us emotional rather than actually responding to what God has provided. Just so you know, from here on out through the Old Testament, kings are looked upon in a different way than what we receive in this passage. It's interesting how Israel turns the outlook of kings from what Samuel has to, oh, ordained by God, anointed, all these wonderful things, this king that would do good and this king that would do bad and all these different things. It would change from here on out. And we begin to wonder... Are there moments when we as humans can confuse our own impulses, emotions, and dreams coming from God? Especially when we see somebody else have something. Especially when we begin to compare our circumstances to other people. Especially when we want to justify our lives or the things that we have with God. Y'all, we live in a, in a society of prosperity preachers and grifters and all kinds of folks looking to make a buck, all kinds of folks looking to tickle our ears to say, hey, everything that you ever wanted, that's what God wants too. But they do not see the warning. They never share the warning that we see here, that God can allow something, but it doesn't mean that he blessed it. And you and I can fall into this temptation individually, like FOMO. Oh, man, did you see what, did you see what uh, Jenny did on Facebook the other day? That would have been so cool. Oh, man, I'm now going to take this amount of money that I've been saving or that I've been giving to the Lord to do this. We can do it personally, but we can also do it corporately. We can do it as, as a group of people. So many times we see people of faith, the church, define success in ways that are different than what God has shown success to be. We must be conscious of what God has called us to be and to recognize the moments when we forsake that and do something that we want ourselves. How do you do that? It starts by trusting God. You have to trust him. When God does say the things that he says within scripture and through his son, 
that this is the life, this is the way, this is the truth. Y'all got to believe him. We got to believe him. When he says the greatest commandment is love God and love your neighbor, we got to believe him. When he teaches love your enemies, we got to believe him. We have to trust him. When he is showing us who God is in the parables, we have to trust him. Even when we get envious of other people and we want to get distracted and we begin to change our lives and we begin to battle for the things that we want, we have to say, wait a minute, is this God or is this what I want? Because I'm here to tell you this, friends. If we move into a realm where our wants, our demands of whether it be goals or ways or kings, anything in life, you can be sure that as you move towards that desire, you're probably going to move away from the way that God has called you to live. We have to trust that God will provide the life that he has told us to live. Love, love this person that you're struggling to love, but they were so mean to me. Trust that he's going to provide you the ability to forgive. Did you see what this other person was doing, the way that they're living their life? Do you see all the sin they've got going on? Why can't I be like, relax, trust that the way of his life is better than that, than just, than just living in the self, the desires, the goals. But the world just seems so evil these days. Trust that God has a place for you to live out the life he has called you to live, even though the world doesn't look to love us back. We must trust him. I've often heard lately that comparison is the thief of joy. It's become a common proverb in our world. And I'm very, very thankful for that. I am glad that that proverb has become mainstream. Comparison is a thief of joy. And it's because, quite frankly, whether or not you live in the social media realm, social media is within my generation and the generation behind me and the generation after. We, we live on it in a lot of ways. And every so often when I see comparison is a thief of joy, I give thanks because that's a light in the midst of a timeline filled with comparing myself to everybody else. Because you know what? Nobody puts on their timeline a bad day. I mean, some do. Some, some are willing to be that authentic. But most of the time it's like, hey, look what I'm doing right now. I'm doing this, that, these, and those. Look at me at CrossFit. Oh my goodness, y'all CrossFitters, blessings to y'all. Y'all, harder than me. Uh, <laughs> but what it can become is this, this, this leech pool of, and it just drains, it drains your identity. Now, just because if you're not on social media, don't think that you are free from this. We still do it whenever we hear about something else going on or we begin to, to see something in the world and we said, ah, I wish we were more like this or whatever it might be. Just trust God. 
Because if you're elevating yourself, if you're elevating your king, if you're elevating something else in place of God, you can believe for a fact that you will go to battle for it rather than trusting God that the battle belongs to him. Thanks for listening to Champion Church of the Nazarene's weekly sermon podcast. We hope you were inspired by this week's message. We'd love for you to join us on a Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We are located at 3924 High Street Northwest in Warren, Ohio. You can also join us on Facebook Live. For more information about our ministries, or if you'd like to contribute to our ministries online, visit us at championnaz.org.